Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Just Saying Sports with Jake and Sean. My name is Jake Atnip. I'm here with Sean Dwyer. You know what to do, Indy man. How you doing, boys? And ladies, just so we know, we have some listeners on the other side of the rung. Either way, we have a little bit of a more discussion-based episode for you guys today. Uh, Sean and I have had quite a few conversations about our topics today, uh, just not really in the public eye. And there's a new rule that has come out that we would like to speak about. But really, we're just going to go ahead and do a kind of a point-by-point discussion on whether we believe college athletes should be paid. I know this question has come up a lot over the years, and it continues to come up. But there's so many avenues for it to happen now. We're going to discuss what we think is possible and why. And for the second part of our show, we are going to talk about the new redshirt rule that is coming into college football for the 2018 season. And we will brief you on that once we get to that segment. And then we're going to wrap up with a little bit of MLB trade deadline talk just to give you a little bit of current news on this week's podcast. But as always, Sean, excited to talk because you know what this means. Football is coming up. Oh, yes, it is. And Sean and I uh, have always been really, really big college football fans going back as far as we've known each other. And this is the time of year when everything starts to get a little interesting, very punctual, and you get to see exactly what's going on. So um, we're in the month when football starts. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and talk about a more broad topic to get our show started with. And the question we'll pose is, is it time for college athletes to get paid, Sean? And, you know, just to give a little background, this debate started at least four or five years ago. I mean, it's probably gone on a lot longer than that. But with, you know, me and you talking about the likeness and and, and uh, EA Sports, you know, making money off them, and then they have to shut down the game. I mean, what do you think uh, is the answer here? I really don't know the answer, to be honest, but who know where they, the end game, I'm not sure, but I do know where they can start. That's by allowing um, college players to have endorsements, you know. Sorting out how to pay these kids through the school, that's going to be take a long time and be messy. But just to get the ball kind of rolling with this, I, you allow them to have endorsements. So, I mean, just to circle back for one second, yes, I do believe it's time for college athletes to get paid. I don't know if I'm Yeah, of course. But, but you know, how to make it happen, that's always the hang-up that I think a lot of people have with this. Great, yeah, let's pay them. And then people go, all right, how? And then a lot of questions start coming from there with, Okay, if we pay athletes for football and basketball, then we got to pay the girls' cross country team and the boys' cross country team and all these other teams that don't really bring in money. So it's allowing them to have endorsement deals, I think, is a good start. You know, you start there and they can figure stuff out. And, and I mean, yeah, and I, what do you think about that? I just want to, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, it's hard for me to, say that I think college athletes should be paid. I don't think they should be paid. I think they can get paid. Um, I'm not saying that you should allow boosters and things like that, 
But like you said, endorsements, that's much more specialized. And that would also make athletes do a little bit more outside work from just their university um, to find those endorsement deals. But if you think about just, say, the NBA draft, these kids have no professional no endorsements, no nothing going into the NBA draft, but they all are in talks before they go about which brand they are going to sign on with before the night before the night's over they know who they're signing with and not every one of them gets an endorsement deal a lot of them do you know top five or top seven or whatever it would be they get a small endorsement deal which the thing is you see how quickly that happens um i think that could happen in the college ranks and i don't think that should take away from your amateur status that has nothing to do with you getting paid for your play on the court or on the field that has to do with your reputation that has to do with your, you know, likability that has to do with a lot more than just, um, you know, your play and, you know, Nike endorsers aren't going to endorse the guys who are off, you know, doing the, doing the bad stuff, you know, and that's a lesson that I think they would learn really quickly. And it's, it's almost a, a quick lesson to the real world. Yeah, I mean, also the other thing that I think only starting with endorsements is your, you know, endorsers aren't going to endorse the third down or the third string outside linebacker. You know, those are the people who we aren't really having this conversation about anyway. Let's be honest. We're not thinking about paying the third string outside linebacker. We're talking about paying the first string quarterback who's going to be a first round pick in the NFL. That's the only people that the people who want college athletes oh, that, care about. They're not thinking about it. Personally, and that's not my thing. I, I'm saying, you know. I'm, that's what I would, I'm saying that just to finish my point here with allowing the, that kid to have an endorsement, it's also going to save the school's money in the long term because they're not going to have to pay every athlete. They're just going to allow the endorsements to go out and pay the athletes that are deserving Let's be honest. Not every athlete on the college football team is deserving of getting paid. Of course, the guy who the guy who doesn't pay on the on the roster doesn't play for four years. But he does he really deserve any money? Well, I don't think I don't think it's a question of deserving money or not because they all do put in the same amount of work. They just might not bring in the same amount of money or the same type of star power. But that's different between every player, and that's one of the reasons why I was I wanted to go back, and I wanted to say you know in general. I still am kind of a stickler about college players not getting paid. And by not getting paid, I mean not having a weekly or a monthly or even like a yearly check for playing college sports. Because as Sean and I have discussed previous, um, both of us are still in the process of paying for a college degree. And uh, even academically, big universities do not give out a lot of scholarships. I believe I saw a list just the other day that Michigan State University, our alma mater, only gives out 164 full-ride academic scholarships a year. There's almost 50,000 students at that school. You're talking about just as exclusive for academic as it is for athletic. So for cross-country runners, most of those people aren't getting full-ride scholarships uh, because they don't bring in the money. What they do is they get help. Um, they, they have, you know, partial athletic, partial ath- academic, 
they're able to work more things out, but um, they are still getting paid in my, in my opinion. I know a college degree costs a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars, depending on what you're doing. And if you're talking about paying kids, however much, you know, getting up to that point, you have to still tack that on top of it. And the people who were talking about paying uh, with a one and done or a two year thing, um, I think honestly, if it did turn into a pay, uh, it would have to turn into a contractually obligated type of deal where it says, I'm going to pay you to play for us for all four years of college, or I'm going to pay you to, for you to pay for us for two years. And then you can go to the NFL. We're going to have a new quarterback. And that would turn the NCAA into a really, really, I feel like a very ruthless business. And that, yeah, no, that would make it, that would I make it, it rough. So I'm, I, I know already that informs ways and shapes, even though the NCAA says they don't college athletes get paid. Well, there's one thing that you'll never change my mind on is that is that these guys' scholarship is form of payment. You know, like you said, we're paying off our loans, stuff that we had to take out to go to college and get our degrees. And then half the guys that get these football and basketball scholarships don't ever end up even graduating from the college. So you get a couple years of just, you know, like it says, a free ride to a university just to play a sport. But when you start thinking about, you know, yeah, they're here to go to school, but at the same time, think of all the time that we spent on school. Of course. And then add in, then add in being a full-time Division One college athlete, and then, you know, their commitment becomes a little bit worth, larger you're saying, than you're saying school. You're saying worth something? It becomes worth something, as in, I believe at that point it turns into a job for them when they're having to go to wake up, go to practice, go to school, go to tutoring or if they need it or do their homework if they need to, and then go to another practice and then possibly have more practice after that in terms of film study or weightlifting stuff or... like that. And then go home and finish any homework that you haven't done. I mean, you, you've seen the videos of like when the Big Ten Network follows around students for a day. Of course. They're having like 10, 12-hour days. That gets a little bit past just school because I know you and me, let's be honest, some of our days at school were only, what, two classes yeah, a day? four hours. And so then the, you're adding on another 10 hours for them. I think at some point that sport turns into a job as well. Of course. And I think that at some point they should be compensated. For but that. this is also something that you have to think about and why these universities get these high-profile athletes and what the system is like now and what a paid system could really do to that. Because when you go through the recruiting process, there's certain things that matter to kids. You know, you go, oh, I want a degree or I want to be on national TV all the time. So, I, you know, I want to go to Notre Dame because they have their own channel or, you know, or I want to play the best teams on the biggest stage, or I want to play for Alabama because there's championships or this or that or the other thing, depending on where you go, certain universities already offer a certain level of feedback or reward for those athletes. Cause getting a free ride to university is basically free, pub free publicity. Um, you know, 
a being able to make a name for yourself. A lot, you know, some of these guys who go number one, number two overall, they come into a big school and that already puts enough hype behind their name to see them as a projected first round pick. You know, you see just talk about basketball. We have these guys who are 18 years old coming into Duke or Kentucky or Michigan State or, you know, someplace that has a lot of prestige, that word prestige behind them. And it automatically boosts you as a athlete, as, as a person, because that is what they can put behind you and push you to the next level. When you make a step into a university, especially at a higher level, um, and you are, especially the people that you said we're talking about, the one and dones, the two and dones, or the people who are going to go get drafted, the reason why they're there is to go get drafted. And the free ride part of it, when they think they don't have to spend a dime for two years before they go off to make millions of dollars, is a lot more than you think. They don't have to pay for food. They don't have to pay for lodging. They don't have to pay for transportation. They don't have to pay for anything like that because it's all taken care of by the university. For two full years, you say, to go to the league, that's a lot of money. And I I know I'm still not sure what goes on with the whole stipend situation. And that was my solution back in the day is, you know, give everybody a $1,500 or $2,000 stipend a month and they'll be able to do something with it to pay rent and do this and do the other thing. But it's still such a sticky situation, Sean. Yeah, it's not not easy question. It's something that's going to have to be, I think, talked about for at least the next two or three years before we even come close to having a solution in mind. I don't know if there will ever be a solution because – There's not going to be one everybody happy it's one of those things where there's going to be people who are like all right we did something it's great there's going to be other people that are like you did the wrong thing no so whatever they come up with we'll see and we'll have to make judgments off of that when it happens yeah and i mean i don't the thing is i don't know if they are going to come up with something is my point is the the ncaa is the way it is it has been the way it has been for a really long time and i honestly don't know what they can do to change such a big system. Cause this wouldn't, if they change division one, they would have to change division three, not quite pay people like that, but you understand my, my trickle down thought there. It's good. It, yeah, once you let the monkey out of the bag, it's going to extend to all levels of NCAA. Alrighty. So um, I believe that's going to do it for our conversation on NCAA athletes being paid to play. So we are going to give it just a second so you can stop hearing our voices and hear a little bit of funky tunes. And we'll be back here with our next discussion discussion topic. All righty then. Welcome on back. We are going to dive into our second discussion topic and we're going to pass this one on over to Sean to introduce. He's going to give you a little background on the new rule, and then we'll tell you our thoughts. All right. So this year in for Division One football in the NCAA, they redid the shirt red shirt and, um, and how much wiggle room an athlete has for retaining their red shirt 
Um, it used to be, you know, the rule wasn't very clear. You know, if they played at some point and did a certain thing, they lost redshirt eligibility. But now this year coming into it, they, the new rule is that four games to play. You can play an up to four or less games and you can keep your redshirt for the season. So you don't use lose a year of eligibility. And that, so, yeah. And that, that's a big deal because the old way was if you stepped on the field, you lost your red shirt. Is that correct? In 90% of circumstances, yes. So continue. And so my only question to you, Jake, out of this, you know, looking at it, do you think that this will help college football become more competitive as in kids are going to go different places for better opportunities or do you think that just the top teams are going to get richer off recruiting from this I see a little bit of both Um, I think it's positive overall for the NCAA I'll say that first because certain things happen I mean even if you go down to just injuries and just that, that that's just the easiest one to name, but you know, just, just issues that go on and off the field. Um, four games seems like it might be a bit much because that seems like a bit of a long tryout period. And if you really well, you know, let's say that my feelings are I think the four games is too much, too. I think it should be more of like two or three, exactly. Because you know, looking at it for four games, you know, a regular season for college football is 12 games, and somebody threw out an interesting tidbit about this and if with if Alabama feels confident and all three quarterbacks on their roster they could play each one of them for four games and none of them would lose a year of eligibility until they had to play a bowl game exactly and that that was going to be my that was going to be my point is for the big schools I think it makes it a lot easier for them to hoard talent and to, yes I yeah agree. and to be able to really finagle the recruiting system to work in their favor because like you said, now you can bring in a guy for a few games and if it doesn't work out, you don't lose a year of eligibility. I mean, even if you go back to when we had Connor cook, you know, um, imagine if he only played the last four games of his, you know, his freshman year and he could have had a, he could have had a red shirt. Um, It would have been a whole different story, but you still think, Mm -hmm. Even nowadays, uh, when when there's multiple quarterbacks on a roster, especially if you get recruited in back-to-back years, you can give either guy a legitimate shot and then basically pluck one from the back and say, okay, you get to go. You hold on for another year. And that basically gives that guy two, two entire years to be able to get prepared for that spot. Because you'd, you'd use one whole year, and then you're already ready for the next. So I think it uh, makes it easier for them to recruit back-to-back-to-back guys and really hold on to them. But I think you could also increase transfers. Because, you know, I read one interesting point, and they said, you know, you can use a guy um, any four games out of the year, which is really disturbing to me. Um, and you could have him come, say, in the in the last in the Big Ten championship or the college football playoff, um, just the last three or four games of the year, and almost like Tuo Tabaglia did in the college football playoff, and it's almost like he never even played. 
You know, it's almost like he yeah. was never even there because then he gets still a whole other four years of eligibility. So that's that makes it a little sticky. But well, my thoughts on it are more of player development. I mean, I never really my whole thing on this was more player development instead of schools were going to be hoarding talent. But when you look, let's look at it. You know, we'll use a practical example here uh, for what we both know, and that's Michigan State. You know, um, incoming guy Xavier Henderson is at safety, and there's been a lot of good buzz about him. But you know what? Is he really going to outwork Kari Willis or David Dow for a starting spot? Seriously, doubt it. No, no. But now this goes into, and this is for all positions. Those first three games that we play, or first two games that we play against teams that we should be up by a lot by in the second half. Well, now Xavier Henderson or another freshman is going to get to go play that second half and not lose a year of eligibility. And the coaches are going to get to see what they got. And I think that's just going to open up more. I think it's, there's going to be a better football comes coming out of this because we're not going to have guys who have never started before or never played before going into the games when there's injuries. I think teams will have less drop-off talent-wise if there is an injury due to this rule change. I definitely see that. And I mean, it's definitely, that's what I mean. I think it's an overwhelmingly positive change. I think that it gives athletes an opportunity even to give a, you know, give a thought to their school even. It helps the athletes out because like I said, I think it could increase transfers because say you're at a place like the University of Michigan where you're sitting there as a sophomore and you just had a whole bunch of quarterbacks go through. Nobody really worked out. So you say, hey, I might get my shot. Um, they they play you four games last year, and it didn't work out too well. But you go, hey, I'm really the only. One. And then they bring in Shea Patterson, and you, and you know, I'm saying you already used your redshirt year of eligibility. You're gonna want to. You're gonna want to get out of there. Yeah. And that's one of the things. I don't think it's it's a bad thing because it might spread the love a little bit, but then again, it really depends on how these coaches and schools play it because, once again, they're the ones who are in control. Yeah, it's another one of those things where it's going to end up being based on more of let's see what happens because as of right now, no one knows what's really going to happen. Are there going to be coaches who abuse this rule? Yes, there are going to be. There's going to be someone who abuses every rule. And so that's where I think in the future you'll see that four games shrink down to two or three maybe in the future. Well, I agree on that as well. So that'll do it for our discussion on the new red shirt rule. We have a little bit of MLB trade deadline talk to wrap up our show, just to give you a little bit of current news and sports. So we'll be right back with those in just a second. Well, welcome back. We just have one more short segment for you today. We are going to give you some of our favorite picks or trades from the MLB trade deadline. Uh, Pickups, drops, buys and sells. Who's done what and who's going where. So we'll start off with you, Sean. Uh, Biggest move at the trade deadline that you think will make the most impact? I believe it was the Atlanta Braves trading with the Orioles to get Kevin Gossman from Baltimore. 
I think that Kevin Gossman has not really had a great year so far, and it hasn't been representative of his talent. And I think that he could easily turn the Braves into a division-winning team and really make them – I believe the Braves will win the National League East now. Well, I know you've been really, really high on the Braves, and they made a move in order to contend. I know you said – at the beginning of the year, you didn't think they were going to be able to do anything until next year. But Well, let me, let me clarify myself. I do think this move will help them win the National League East. I do not think this is going to help them win a World Series. Oh, no, I'm not saying to win a World Series. I mean, but even, even you said in the beginning of the year, you didn't think they were going to be quite to the World Series this year. Um, but still, it's going to help them to contend better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I will admit that I was completely wrong with the Braves at the beginning of the year. They're one of the teams that's been a big surprise in baseball, and they've surprised me. And you know what? I'm, I'll admit I'm wrong. I was wrong about them. But at the same time, I'm a big Braves fan now because I just love all the young talent on the team. And I think that in this trade, they got Kevin Gosper, who's a starting pitcher, shores up their rotation enough. And they didn't really have to give anything up to get him. So I think that, you know, the Braves really made out great with this trade. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, you kind of brought it up. One of the things that I was actually the most surprised about and was actually really intrigued about was the Baltimore Orioles and how they sold the house. You know, they got rid of just about everybody. And there's, not many teams that are willing to implode it like that. They weren't having the season they wanted, so they went ahead and got rid of just about anything that they could. And, you know, I think that was a good move. I wish, you know, I wish the Tigers would have done that a long time ago. Um, not just get rid of everybody, but make it a full-on rebuild at one point. But, you know, um, the, the the move that I – or the pickup that I like the most or – the team that I like who made the pickups the most is the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, you know, they got Manny Machado and they got Brian Dozier from the, uh, you know, from the Twins. And, I mean, he hasn't had the best season, but statistically throughout his career, he's got good power numbers. He's always, um, you know, had a good on-base or slugging percentage. And she, in that Dodgers lineup, that that really – puts them to me ahead in that NL, in that really, really tight NL West race. And we talked about it before, how tightly contested that division is in the first place. I think they're the only one at the deadline who made a move to make themselves better. Uh, I think a lot of teams made moves to make themselves better. But I'm, in the, I'm talking about in the NL West. Oh, the NL West, yeah. They're the only yes. team that made moves. I'm no, sorry. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, in, in, that, in that tight division, they're the only team that made themselves better at the at the at the trade deadline. I mean, the the Diamondbacks made a trade for a relief pitcher, but I really don't see him making a giant difference in terms of a division run at the end of the day. Um, like, yeah, also the Padres, they're out of it most likely. Um, the Giants, I think the Giants made a small move. They didn't make anything that would be to that level, and then I know for a fact that Colorado didn't make any big time moves. So I think the Dodgers have also, put, you know, going back to my division picks, I'm willing to switch the National League West now to the Dodgers because, you know, they're the only team that made moves to, to win a division. Other teams, you know, they stayed pat. The Dodgers made moves in terms of trying to force their way, and I think they'll work. 
Yeah, I definitely agree as well. And there is another team who we kind of talked about who has a chance to make a run at the playoffs, and they made some big moves, and that's the Brewers. You know, they got yeah. they got Mike Moustakis. Uh, I believe they also um, – oh, they grabbed a couple pitchers and – Jonathan Scope. Yeah. Or yeah. They, second I'm not really sure how I feel on that move because at the same time, they gave up a, a pretty good infielder himself and Jonathan VR and a top 100 prospect in Luis Ortiz for a second baseman in Jonathan Scope who's hitting around 210 this year. I'm not really sure I understand that trade, but you know what? We'll see how that one works out. And the only thing is, like we said, they are contending right now. They're in the hunt. So I think they were just doing their best to put bats in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. What do you think about our uh, our old friend uh, Ian Kinsler going to the Red Sox now, teaming up with J.D. Martinez? Oh, uh, well, once again, it's just Dave Dombrowski just transporting all the Tigers who should have won a World Series over there. Um but I, I like I like the moves. They needed to fill a void, and they just traded a couple minor league prospects. I mean, I know they're ranked, but Ian Kinsler's one of the most solid fielding second baseman that's been in the league for years and years and years and years. You're going to have him hit for average. He's going to get you a few a home run here or there. He's gonna he's gonna do what he has to do to make the Red Sox better. He's gonna fit right into that lineup, and he'll fit seam, seamlessly. All right, and just one last question based on this. Based on the moves that were made at the deadline, who wins the American League East now? Are you still sticking with the Yankees, or do you think Boston's got a better chance? The Yankees made a, made a couple moves as well. They weren't staying stagnant just like Boston didn't, but I think Boston's rotation might shut down the Yankees. It's hard for me to stick it through, but I still think the Yankees – if they get to play, if they get to the playoffs, they'll probably be able to push past the Red Sox. Then, yeah, I feel the same way. I think that at this point, you know, just coming off of a recent weekend sweep of the Yankees, the Red Sox have put themselves in terms of and in in first place in my mind for the division for the rest of the year. I just if they can keep that performance up, you know, there's still a lot of baseball left, but. A pick right now would probably be the Red Sox based off of the moves that were made at the deadline. I think that the Yankees are not very far behind them. And I think that they that would probably be one heck of a playoff series to watch. Boston and Yankees going seven games. All right. So that is going to wrap up episode number 19 of Just Saying Sports. Next week we have episode 20. Maybe we'll make a huge extravaganza for everybody all of our wonderful listeners who keep coming back. Um, As always, please do your due diligence, like, share, subscribe, do everything we can to make us big time. And uh, as always, big time. time, As always, we want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for listening. My name is Jake Atnip. I am Sean Dwyer. And we'll see you for big episode number 20 next week. Oh,